So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So this week I picked up the obituaries. I know that sounds a little morbid, but I mean, I don't pick up the paper very often, but I picked it up this week and I turned in and there were the obituaries. And then my heart just kind of leaped out realizing these people will never be here again. Never, ever, ever again. And it's that reality that death is certain. Uh, For what I understand, uh, the death rate is 100% everybody's going to die. The only person that has defeated death was Jesus Christ, so he's the only one in human history. And as I looked at that, I just realized, okay, this is a reality that every one of us, it doesn't matter whether we're young or old, it's something that we all face. In that obituary, there were young people and there were old people. Uh, like a, a couple days ago, I went to Wendy's, and there's a kind of a memorial to a student that was here who died of a brain aneurysm. And what a horrible thing at at such a young age for you to pass from this life to the next. For it seems like a waste of a life. But what it tells us is that life is, is something that God has given us, but we have no idea how long we're gonna be here. We have no, long, no idea whether we're gonna live to be 100 or whether we're only going to be able to live to 18 or 25 or or whatever age. And what we do have is right now, and what we need to think about is what this life is like beyond here. And today is going to be one of those perspective passages, because it talks about life beyond here. And what is our heavenly dwelling? What is our permanent place? And do we have a a certainty in our own heart that that is where we're going? Today, I'd like you to think about one question, and I'm going to come back to it at the very end of the message. And the question is this, what are you living for? What are you living for right here and now? And will that have an impact on the future? Now, we're looking at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Now, what I did is I had Sarah read the last three verses of chapter 4 because they're tied together. 
Because the Apostle Paul, in writing the last three verses of chapter 4, of course, the, the chapter titles are all man-made, but the, 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 there's a continuation of thought. And he starts off with this idea that we're wasting away and that this life is, uh, our bodies are going through this natural aging process, but we're being renewed day by day. And we know that the troubles that we go through in this life are worth it because there's an eternal weight of glory in the future. And what Paul is pointing to at the end of chapter 4 is this perspective that there's more to this life than what we see right here and now. There's much more than what we see. And what he wants us to understand is that, yeah, though our body might be wasting away, we, there is much more. And today, Paul's going to talk about the body being a tent. And he uses this analogy of our human life to show the temporary nature of our life, that it is just a tent. And so he's going to talk about what that tent is like here and what we can expect in the future. Now, for the big picture of what our passage is about, it's really about faith. And he, he's going to approach faith in two different directions. First direction is faith in the future, and then the second direction is faith in the present. He wants us to understand that if we live here and now, we want to live it with it, the perspective that there is a future that we're working towards, that there's something much more there's that eternal weight of glory, and he's going to give a good description of what that eternal weight of glory, what heaven is like, and what it's going to be like for us. But if we understand that, and we have faith in the future, then it will profoundly affect the present, how we live each and every day right here and now. And so I want us to pray that God would just use his word as kind of a mirror to ourselves and help us to evaluate this question. What are we living for right here, right now? Lord, I thank you, God, for the people that you have assembled in this congregation. I thank you for the beauty of the body of Christ. And I thank you that we can come here, we can learn your word, and it doesn't matter whether we are young or old, we need to hear this message today. And I pray that you would help us to have faith in the future. Help us to think about our life beyond right here and right now. And help us to see that you have much more intended for us. And I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and help us to see what your word has to say. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to first look at verses 1 to 5. Now, as I reread re this passage, what I want you to take note of is the contrast between our earthly bodies and the future. See what he says. Take note of it. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling." If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
Now, in these five verses, what Paul does is he makes a contrast between this tent, our bodies, and our eternal home. Now, I've made a chart. For those of you that are pie chart people, you're just going to love this. So just look at this, soak it in, bask in it for a minute, and, uh, and write it down, take notes here. But I want you to see the earthly dwelling, how it's described. If you put it all together, this earthly dwelling, we are in a tent. It is set for destruction. We groan, and the implication of the passage is that while we are in this life, we are naked, meaning vulnerable. We are filled with burdens, and the, there's more that we are mortal. We're not immortal, we're mortal. We're going to die. But in the heavenly dwelling, now let me just say this, this would be for those that have confessed Jesus as their Lord. They understand that Christ died on the cross for them, that he rose from the grave. They've surrendered their life. For those that would be called a child of God, God says that there is an earthly or a heavenly, there's a building from God that is waiting for you. Jesus talked about it with his disciples. We'll look at that in a minute. That this is an eternal house. And that we can long for this in the future, that we would be clothed in this heavenly dwelling, and that we would be further clothed with Christ, and that there would be life, eternal life, that we would long for. And so this is kind of the contrast that Paul paints. So what I want to do is just kind of rip this apart verse by verse, and as we do, we'll make some faith applications as we go along. The first verse, let's look at it in detail. Paul starts off by saying, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, let's look at the tent side of things. Why does Paul use the word tent? He uses that word tent specifically with the audience in mind. It doesn't mean a whole lot to you and I. But it meant a lot to these people because they had people that were nomadic people that were moving around and were living in tents. And they saw that as a part of their culture. Also, the Jews that read this, they remembered their ancestors. Remember what they did in the wilderness for over 40 years? They wandered around in tents, a temporary dwelling. And they did this with Moses in the wilderness. But there's also a theological implication of the idea of tent, and this is related to Christ. John relates this word tent to Jesus Christ. He says this in John 1.14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling is the same word for tent. In other words, Jesus tented among us. Now, why did Paul use this metaphor? He wanted us to see that there was a temporary nature to this body of ours. That this dwelling of ours is just temporary, it's not permanent, and we should not long for this to be our permanent dwelling, but that there's something better. I think that's why Jesus was pointing and hinting at this with his disciples. In the passage Josh read earlier, John 14, when he said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me 
so that you might be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus wanted to point to something better, tense or temporary. A couple years or many years ago, a good handful of years ago, about a decade or so, um, I went backpacking with a bunch of guys that I call my ranger buddies. Now, I've used my ranger buddies as illustrations before. It's about a group of seven guys. Once a year, we would go and we would hike a different part of the Appalachian Trail for four days. Now, this one particular year, we decided that we would go and fly into Baltimore and go over to the trailhead, and we would hike down all the way to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. It was a gorgeous hike. It was unbelievable as far as the sights. There was only one problem. Every one of us were completely out of shape. And so we were hiking up and down these hills, carrying these heavy backpacks, living in tents at night. And after three days, we were weary. And I can remember us stopping at this place, and we were all deliberating as to whether we would go on. Now, every one of the guys, just to know their psyche, their, what was going on in their mind, every one of them started to dream about a soft bed. They were dreaming about a hot shower and a good-smelling wife. Because I want you to know, after three days of not showering, every one of these guys, except me, reeked. <laughs> okay, maybe I reeked as well. And so we are all dreaming about this. And there was one other problem. One of our guys had neglected to cut his toenails before he left on the trip. And so as we're sitting there at this stop, he's sitting on a log, and he has his shoes off. His toes are are bruised and bloodied, and it was just nasty. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing this well before lunch, so it shouldn't ruin your lunch. But he's, and we're like, why? Why would anyone go on a long hike and not trim their own toenails? Well, as we're deliberating, one of our ranger buddies goes over with toe clippers and starts clipping all of his toenails. I want you to know that was love that I would never do. <laughs> if you need your toenails clipped, Go see a podiatrist, okay? Go see someone that can take care of your problem. Anyways, it, it was, I described that because it was a pathetic situation. And as a result, we all decided that we were going to go get a hotel that night. And we wanted to get a hot shower. We wanted to get a soft bed. The good-smelling wife would have to wait, but two out of three ain't bad. But the point was... We didn't want, it's as temporary as, temporary as it was, we didn't want the tent to be our permanent dwelling. We wouldn't want that. I know there's some people that are campers here. How many people love camping here? There's a handful of you. But I don't know that you would want to live in a tent all your life. And here's what Paul is saying. This isn't natural. This isn't what we should long for. In fact, this tent is going to be destroyed. He says it right in the passage. It's going to be destroyed. One way or another, young or old, it's going to be destroyed. I think this is what James was getting at when he was writing his letter. He said, listen, what is your life? Kind of like the question that we're asking. What are you living for? What's your life? He says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. God uses this analogy to show us that this life is temporary. 
And so it pays to reason if life is temporary, then we got to ask ourselves, why is it that we make this as if it's our permanent dwelling? Can you imagine going on vacation, a one-week vacation, and you packing into your car your big screen TV, and you put in your couch and your favorite comfy couch and your sleep number bed in the trailer, and you're going down to some place for a one-week stay, and you're moving everything in, and everybody around you is looking at you like you're crazy. Why would you do that? They would say, this is temporary. This is only a one-week deal. And yet sometimes as Christians, we hunker down here in life and we think, this is it. I got to get as much out of this life as I can because this is it. We need to live with the perspective that Peter had. You know what Peter said? He says, I urge you. I urge you to have this perspective in life. Live as aliens and strangers in this world. And as you live in this world, I want you to abstain. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Don't get sucked into the things of this world. He says, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. This life is temporary. But then Paul does the contrast. He says, that we have a building from God. He says that there's an eternal house in the same verse. Now, what's he talking about? Why is he given this analogy of a building from God? It's a contrast between a tent. This is what we get in the future. The building from God, unlike the tent, is solid. It's something that's permanent. It's certain. And in comparison to the tent, it's huge. It's very big. It's a huge house with big walls, and it's going to be paid by Jesus. It's going to be tremendous. That's my best Donald Trump impression. But truly, there is going to be a huge house. There is going to be an awesome house, and the building is going to be in heaven. The builder is Jesus Christ, and our occupancy is for eternity. That's what matters. This will be our eternal house. How awesome. God has a place for you, for you, for you that believe in Jesus Christ. It's an eternity with him. Now, what's the faith application? The faith application is if I have faith in the future, then I am going to see everything that's going on right now as just temporary. And I'm going to use it to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to use the things that God gives me, the luxuries that he gives me, as a way to advance the kingdom of God. God's given you finances. We give on Sunday morning. Why do we do that? Because I'm telling you to? No, 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 no. God tells us to because he has a kingdom work. We're helping pay for Brandon and Hannah to be able to work in Pakistan. We're paying for the bars to be able to do their work in Israel. We're paying for the, uh, Scott Carter to be able to do his work in the Middle East. We're helping de develop businesses, which you're going to hear about later in, in Tajikistan, that will help sustain church planting that goes on. All of that is because of you guys. Because we believe that what God has given us is God's and we're going to give it for kingdom purposes. But it's not just on Sunday morning. It's everything. The house that we have is to entertain our neighbors. It is to help, help them understand who Jesus Christ is, to be a good example and to share the good news of Christ. 
The house we have is used as an incubator to raise our children in the love and nurture of Christ. Everything we have has been given as a tool to advance the kingdom. But it's a mindset that we have to correct. Some of us think it's for us right here. It's our kingdom. It's not. It's not your kingdom. It's about him. And if we have the belief in the future, we realize all of our resources are God's. And you know what? It takes us a step further. If we truly believe and have faith in the future, then we're willing to sacrifice to go. Some of us will go on a one-week mission project somewhere, and we'll sacrifice and give so that we can go. And maybe that might lead to somebody going permanently to work in an area of the world that God is leading. Years ago, a girl named Jen Srail would never have thought that she was going to be in Cambodia working, learning that language, and working amongst the Cambodians. But that's where she is now. And now she knows the language. And God took her there. Why? Because she had an eternal perspective. God wants that eternal perspective right here, right now, with each of us. Now, verse 2 goes on into this. And it says, there's groanings in this world, but there's a longing. The tent that we have is groaning. Is there any tents that are groaning in here? Just a show of hands. A few groans that are happening. Well, what he's trying to show is that in this life, there's going to be vices. There's going to be things that weigh us down. There's going to be frustrations. There's going to be difficulties that each and every one of us are going to face in this life. It's just the reality that what we're going to face. Do you ever get tired of the battle with sin and temptation? My body groans at that thought. Do you ever get tired of the effects of sin on your family and on your friends? And hearing one more piece of bad news about this marriage that's failed or this person that has fallen into immorality or all these kind of things that happen to individuals, do you ever get angry at the sin that happens? Do you ever get tired of having limitations? Do you ever feel like your body is just not doing what it used to do and you're frustrated? Now, I know some of you that are 20, you don't feel that yet. You will. I just want you to know it. I, I want you to know I'm feeling it at 52. And there might be even those that are even older. There's somebody in my family that this week turned 89 years old. I'm not mentioning any, na any names at all. But we feel the pains and the groans of life. I've been working out at a gym trying to get in shape. And it's not been very successful, but I try. And what we do is we go every week, and I, or every day I go, it's a set time, and there's a group of people, whoever shows up, young or old, we do the same exercise routine. Now, I will tell you that there's a little bit of jealousy in my heart. Because as I do these exercise routines, I see these 20-something-year-old people that are just like this uh, excellent specimen of life. And they are just whipping through these exercises. They're cranking the weights. They're doing the up-downs. They're doing the, the burpees. They're doing all the pull-ups. And, and I'm like groaning my way through every bit of it. But you know what? That's what life is like. We age. We groan. We get tired in this life. And we do it because he wants us to realize this is in our permanent place. What should we long for? 
we should long to put on our heavenly dwelling. That's what our passage says. And then he goes on a little bit deeper, and he says that not only should our desire be for God, be for God in heaven, he says this. He says, if indeed by putting it on the heavenly dwelling, we may not be found naked. See, we won't be naked in heaven. In other words, vulnerable, but we are vulnerable here on earth. And here's our faith application. The faith application is this. If we realize this, we understand that our longing should be for the things that are beyond this life. The things that relationships do not fulfill us completely. They're never meant to fulfill us completely. Things should never fill us completely. Oh, do we want relationships? Absolutely. Do we use things? Do we go on vacation? Do we do things that are nice in this world? Absolutely. But they are only temporary. They will not fulfill us at the deepest level within our hearts. Only God is designed to meet that need. And that's what he's saying. God is our deepest longing. He is the one who helps us and fulfills us. And then in verse 4 and 5, he closes out with one more contrast. He says that, again, we have groanings, but then he says we have burdens in this life and that we long to be further clothed in Christ. He says what is mortal will be swallowed up with eternal life. Now what Paul is doing is he's rehashing things that he has said before. When he was teaching in Corinthians about the resurrection, he said something very similar. He said this, So it will be with the resurrected bodies. Body that is sown perishable but will be raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. It's sown as a natural body, it will be raised as a spiritual body. What Paul wants us to realize is this is what we're looking forward to the imperishable, to the glory, to the power, to the spiritual body. This is what he wants us to understand. There's so much more. Paul hinted at this with, his, with uh, the Philippian church when he said this. He said, God will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Anybody here want a glorious body? I really long for that glorious body. And that is going to happen someday when we are with him for eternity. Now what's cool is in verse 5, God says, after this perspective, Paul says, after this perspective, I just want you to know that what God is doing is he's using the events of this life to prepare you for the future. It's almost as if this life is a testing ground. Remember the parable of the talents? He gave some, uh, the, the different people talents, and some of them went and buried them, and some of them went and used it. They failed the, some failed the test, some succeeded at the test. So this life is a test of our obedience to him. Whether we listen to him, whether we please him, whether we walk with him, it's a test. It's so that we will please him. And he says, I'm using this life to prepare you for the future. But guess what? I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who will live inside of you, who will guide you, and he will be a guarantee for your future in heaven. When you come into heaven, the Holy Spirit will come with you in terms of he is that guarantee that guarantees your presence with God for all eternity. So if we understand this, here's our last faith application in this section. 
If we understand that our faith is in the future, we're going to lean on God. We're going to lean on God in this life. We're going to learn all that we can about the one who we will spend eternity with. I don't want to get to know Jesus in heaven. I want to know him right now. And we will seek to bring him glory in this life. And see, Paul kind of sets us up. He teases up so that he can tell us what faith in this life is all about. Now we transition in the passage to verses 6 through 10. And he's going to say, okay, this is what faith looks like. If you believe in the future, this is what it looks like. Because faith in the future is, in a sense, driving our motivation to how we live here. My friends, if we believe in eternity, if we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, if we believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, if we believe that he is the only way in which we get to heaven, it will determine everything in which how we approach this life. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us four approaches of how we need to approach this life in faith. He says this, let's look at it, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Here's the first approach. First approach in this life is that we will live with courage. Two times he says we live with courage. Verse 6 and verse 8. We live with courage. So why does Paul say this? The answer to this is simple. Because Paul knew the end of the story. He was living with an eternal perspective that there's an eternal weight of glory way beyond this life. So he lived with that, with his perspective. And so he knew that he was on the winning team. Now, speaking of winning teams, this week we had a major accomplishment in Ohio, did we not? The Indians became the American League's champs. Anybody happy about that? Yeah, that's awesome. Now, ironically, there was a little controversy in the midst of the playoffs with the Blue Jays. Now, with the Blue Jays, I read online about there were some from the Blue Jays team that were saying that the system is rigged, that it was set up for the Indians to win. Can you believe this? That they said that there was a greater latitude given for the, for the Indian strike zone. There was a broader strike zone, so it was rigged. They wanted them to win. Now, this whole idea of rigged, it seems to be floating in the air. I've heard it somewhere else. Oh, yes, the election is, a rig is rigged as well. And so you've been hearing Donald Trump say things about the system is rigged. Now, I'm not here to give you commentary as to whether the political system or the baseball system is rigged or not. But I do want to make an analogy here. I want you to think this through. Let's say the system is rigged. If you are the candidate or the team that's the recipient, positive recipient of it being rigged, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go through with confidence. 
You're going to have this poise about you because you know the end of the story. You know that you win in the end, and it's an awesome thing. I want you to think about, about that from a spiritual level. I want you to know that the end has been determined. Now, to say that the spiritual world is rigged would kind of imply fraud. It does imply fraud. So that's the wrong word to use. But what we can say is that it has been, it has been determined by a sovereign God of the universe. And that would be a correct correlation. And so, my friends, if it all has been determined, then we should walk around with incredible poise, incredible confidence, because we know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has been victorious and that we are a child of the King. So here's my question. Are we living as defeated believers? I've met many believers that are just, woe is life. Everything is, uh, 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 everything is turned over on its head. There's nothing good that is happening. And there's just, life is falling apart. And yes, you might have some pretty crappy circumstances in life. Life does get hard. I know that it's harder to raise our children in this world. But I want you to know, that's not the end. I want you to know that we can live with courage and confidence. That should be our approach. Number two approach that Paul talks about is that we live by faith. This is what he said. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We know that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now Paul knew that living in this tent meant that we would be away from the fullness of God, that we would be away from the fullness of God's presence in this life. But in eternity, we will have the fullness of God's presence. And the idea here is that there's going to be things in this life that are going to constantly pull us away from God. It's not that they're bad things. They're just life issues that get in the way. Our job circumstances can pull us away from God. We can have all kinds of things that, that we face. We can have sporting events that our kids go to that we feel is just another thing that gobbles up our time. You get all of a sudden that mailing thing that comes in your mail and you see that jury duty is coming your way. And it's like, oh, no. The timing could not be worse for jury duty. I don't want to do that. It's just another thing that can gobble our time. Then there's the home repair. It's the leaky roof. It's the leaky faucet. It's all these things in life that just take time out of us. And then there's the attention that our kids need. Then there's the attention that our church needs. Then there's the attention that my spouse needs. And it goes on and on and on. These are life demands. And so what Paul is saying is, yes, these things can pull us away, but they're not bad things. What we need to do is learn how to walk in faith, not by sight. And when we learn to walk by faith, we learn how to incorporate God in the midst of the job demands. We learn how to incorporate God even in jury duty or in home repairs or in the, the needs that our kids have, our spouse has, or our, ki our church has. We incorporate that in and we make sure that we have time to get our bearings and we're alone with God and we have that solitude that's part of walking by faith 
and not by sight. What God wants is for us to approach this life in faith. Here's the third thing he wants us to do. He says, I want you to find out what pleases God. Look at our passage in verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what we would rather be. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Because heaven is a far greater place for us, Paul realizes that we need to be with God, that we want to be with God. Shouldn't we all? But the reality is, while we're here, we have a job to do. And our job is to be pleasing to God. And it seems as if this is kind of like a mission statement to Paul, that we are to find out what pleases God in each and every one. I can't do this for Bob. I can't do this for anybody else in this, in this congregation. I can only do that for Steve. And I can ask God, what pleases you? I think it's a mission statement for Paul because he says it so many times. In Ephesians 5, he says this. He says, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Romans chapter 12, remember what he says? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, and then you will be able to know the will of God and you'll be able to test what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God wants us to please him in everything. And that's his desire. We could actually go on and look at other passages, but the point is this. Paul knew that he had to please God. Why? Because God was his master. If God is our master, then it changes everything in our life. Recently, we had a day of prayer as a staff. And as we went and we prayed for every single one of you, we also prayed for the things that we desired to happen. And as we had a break, one, we started talking about the name Mission View. And some of the staff said, well, you know, why is that name significant to you? And they didn't realize that the reason that Mission View was so important to me is because I believe deep within my heart that God has a race for every one of us to run. Hebrews chapter 12 says that. He has a race for every single one of us. He has a mission that he wants for us that he is pleased with. And when I would say, sometimes you'll hear me say, and keep your mission in view. It's not just to have a quaint saying. It's because I truly, truly believe in this mission and that every person God has a mission for and that God wants you to fulfill that mission. I know as a church, he's given us a mission to make disciples who will, baptize, who will be baptized and who will be taught to obey the commands. That's what we're to do. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a baptism set up here. If there are those that want to be baptized, that's part of our mission. And if you've never been baptized and you've never taken that step, that's part of pleasing God. I would encourage you to sign up, let us know, because we want to make plans for you and celebrate with you. But this is our mission. What's your mission? What does God want for you? Are you pleasing him? We conclude with the last approach. And the last approach is this, that we live with reward in mind. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him 
do for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. At first glance, this might sound like you're being called to the principal's office, and it doesn't sound like a good thing. I don't know how many people are looking forward to going before God in judgment for this judgment seat. But if we understand this correctly, we'll change your perspective. Think of your kids. When your kids actually won a tournament and they weren't just getting a courtesy award for something, participant award, but they actually won something and you're at the award ceremony and you're sitting in the audience and your kid walks up to the platform and gets his trophy. How do you feel as a dad or mom? You are prouder than anything. And you are so excited about your child getting that trophy. And he walks off and he's got this gleam in his face and he's so excited. I want you to picture Jesus as the one in the audience. And you and I as the one getting our award. And as we walk across and God gives us the award for faithful living and for finding out what pleases him and being faithful in this life. And he gives us the award, the victor's crown. And we have that. Jesus is the one like, well done, well done. That's my kid. That's my kid. I love him. I love him. I'm so proud of him. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. See, the word for judgment is bima. It was the same, uh, it, was, it was taken out of the games that they did at that time, athletic games, and at the awards, they had the different tiers in which they gave crowns to the individuals. It would be like the Olympics getting the gold or the silver or the bronze. And see, the point of the passage is that God longs, he longs to clothe this child with this victory, with some kind of a victory, a victory crown showing that you've done a good job in living this life. But there is kind of an admonition in this passage where he says, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, some have interpreted this to mean that God is going to have judgment for our sins on that day. That there's going to be on that day an issue of all the sins that we have committed and we're going to be called into account for that. That's not true. Because that was paid for at the cross. Cross, and when we accepted Christ as our Savior, He took care of our sins, our past, our present, our future. And we are sealed and secure in Christ. That's not the issue. But what is in play is obedience. What is in play is obedience. So imagine being at the award ceremony, but not being given any award because you neglected what you were to do in this life. And that's possible. It's possible that God has gifted us and we're not using that gifting. It's possible for us just to come to church and just do the church thing and pray our prayers, sing our songs, and it just be a system. It's possible. Or we can live with an eternal perspective and realize that everything I want to do is to please Him. And as we close out, what I want us to do is we're singing a song, Give Me Faith. 
And in this song, Give Me Faith, it's just a song of perspective about this journey that God would give us the faith that we need. Faith in the future, faith to live it out right now. But here's the deal. If you're there and you think, man, I can't wait to be with God. No, I understand I've messed up in lots of ways. I'm not perfect. I don't expect that I'm going to have like this whole mantle of crowns that, that God's going to throw at me. But I, I'm trying to be faithful. For you, be encouraged by this song. But if there is an element of you in your heart that you would say, you know what? I don't think my life in the current trajectory of where I'm going is pleasing to him. Allow it to be a change, a, a decision, a moment where you could put the stake in the ground and say, on that service, October 23rd, I made a decision that I'm no longer going to live the mundane life. I'm no longer going to live for the here and now. But I'm going to live for an eternal purpose, an eternal perspective. I am making a decision that I am going to be all out for Jesus Christ. I'm not just going to come to church occasionally. I'm going to do it because I want to worship my God and my King as often as I can. I'm not just going to use my job as a means to make an income. I'm going to realize it's part of my circle of responsibility. And I will start praying for the people that I work with. I will start building inroads because I want to make an impact. I will take seriously the discipleship of my own church. And I'm not going to leave it for the church to do. But I am going to raise my children in the way that I need to raise my children. And give a godly example, consistent example. I stake that, I put that stake in the ground. If that's your prayer, use this song to make that kind of decision. And then do one other thing. Tell somebody about it. Get accountable. Be a part of a community group. Be a part of one-on-one -on -one accountability. We're going to talk about men of iron in a couple, a couple weeks. Of If you want to be a part of that or the women's if tables for you to get accountable to somebody. But let God speak to you. Let worship have its full effects that results in action. Lord, I pray, Father, that as we look at this song, as we think about how your word affects us, that it would profoundly affect our lives. God, we love you. And we want to please you. 